Have you ever had one of those dreams that you almost have to pinch yourself in the morning when you wake up to discern, is it real or was I just dreaming? You know, the other week I woke Pierce up in the middle of the night and I woke him up and he said, Dad, my brain was playing this great movie in my mind. It's fun, isn't it, when our mind plays those movies when we have those dreams? You know, occasionally I'm able to have a dream that I actually remember in the morning and my dreams are always action-packed. They're always full of excitement and there's some element of danger and adventure in there. I'm often the lead character in my dreams. I'm the one who gets to solve the problem or help who's ever in need of rescuing. I don't know what that says about me, but those are just my dreams, but they are just dreams after all. This morning, we're diving into a passage of scripture where it almost sounds more like a dream that Jesus must be dreaming with this discipleship mission that he gives us. You know, we, we look at it, we think, you know, that sounds good on paper. It might look good on a chalkboard as you're kind of floating around some ideas, but in reality, it's just too big. It's just too much. No one could really do that. But as we dive in this morning, we'll see that Jesus doesn't want his call for us to make disciples to simply be a dream. But this is reality for us. This should be the truth that we're all experiencing because if we're not, well, maybe we're living a lie. Let's check it out this morning. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15. It reads, And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. And Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter into any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, go give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy and stay in it until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, as we set this passage up and really kind of dig into it, it's important to understand that the result of what is happening here is the result of what happened at the end of Matthew chapter 9. Now, last week, Clarence did a great job of kind of walking us through that passage and explaining it to us. And, and we have to remember what happened there, okay? And even a step back further, Jesus has called his disciples, and we talked about it. When Jesus called his disciples, he just called anybody, right? He did, he did not call the religious people. He did not call the people in authority, the politically connected. He just called everyday men, these men who were... Uh, 
fisherman and a tax collector, just the everyday guys. And this is who he calls. It shows us that, hey, Jesus uses everybody. He sends everybody. And so as he does this, now he's gathered them. And as Clarence talked about, he's now showing them and he's discipling them to be able to live the way that he lives. And so he's going around and he's healing diseases. He's meeting needs. He's casting out demons. He's, he's doing all these things for the people. And as he does this, at the end of chapter 9, it tells us that he's going from city to city, town to town, village to village, and he's entering into their synagogues, and he's going to the demon-possessed, and he's, he's going to the people that no one else would go to. He's going to all these people, the everyday people, the religious people, the afflicted people. He goes to them all, and he has compassion for them. You know, the disciples would be able to see in the face of Jesus just the hurt and the heartbreak that he has for people. They would be able to hear in his voice just the way he talks to them, the compassion that he has for them because Jesus sees these people as they are, the truth and the existence in which they have, which maybe they don't even know. He understands that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd in that cast position that Clarence illustrated for us so beautifully, upside down, legs dangling, nowhere to go, completely helpless, in danger of death. And Jesus sees them like this. And so, knowing that this is the state of the people, the expectation that we would have is that Jesus would be like, all right, guys, you got to go there. I mean, you got to go talk to these people because look at them. Look at the state they're in. Go. But that's not the instruction that Jesus gives at the end of chapter 9. Instead, he doesn't say go. He says, pray. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into his harvest field. That's the instruction. The instruction is to pray. Why? Because Jesus understands that I have to change what these guys care about. He, he's dealing with people who care about fish. And they care about money. They care about all these different things. He has to reorient their hearts toward people. And see, that, that's the kind of heart change that must take place in us, that we care about people. He calls us all. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your, your gifting. It doesn't matter your skill, your expertise. He calls us all to be disciples, to be disciple makers. And then he sends us to care about people, that our heart would break for what breaks his. Now, that's why he says to pray. And so as these guys are praying, it's almost like God says, all right, hey guys, thanks for praying. Now go. You're going to be the answer to your own prayer. That's what's happening in chapter 10 is these guys become the answer to the very thing that they are, are praying for. So understand this. So often when you're praying for people, when your heart breaks for a person or for a group of people and you want them to know Jesus, you want them to have that relationship. The answer to that prayer oftentimes is going to be you. It's going to be you. Why? Because your heart's already inclined there. Your heart's already breaking there. The spirit is moving inside of you that you would notice that hurt, that you would notice that desperation, that you would notice that need. And you're praying for them. You have a heart for them. So what's going to be the answer to that prayer? It's going to be you. Now we, stay, we say and we think, okay, Jesus, I'm praying that you would meet their need. I'm praying that you would just show yourself to that person. I'm praying that you would draw them to yourself. I'm praying that you would do this, Jesus. And the response oftentimes is, I will. 
And I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to use you to be the one who just shows them my love. I'm going to be you to be the one who's going to help draw them to me. I'm going to use you to do it. Why? Because your heart's already there. You're already inclined. The Spirit's already moved in you to do this. And so that's what's happening. He's developed this heart in the, for the disciples that's inclined toward people. It's not toward fish anymore. It's not toward money anymore. It's not toward the cares of the world anymore. It's now inclined towards people. And once they have a heart for people, well, Jesus says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to go. And so he gathers them together and he calls them each by name. This is one of the rare occasions in the Bible where we have a a complete list of the 12 disciples. Jesus goes through every single one of them, names them each by name. Even Judas Iscariot, he names them all. And he says, I'm sending. You see, this underscores the point that they were all sent Every last one of them. We don't have one of the 12 saying, hey, Jesus, you know, this is a great plan. It's a great idea. But, you know, I'm more of just like kind of a, a giving kind of a guy. I'm a generous kind of a guy. You know, I'm happy to like give money to support this mission and wherever these guys are going to head. You know, we don't have another guy saying, you know, I'm really administrative, Jesus. I can kind of help with the plan and kind of craft out what towns and villages these guys should go to. But, you know, I'm really not the disciple making type. I mean, that work is not so much for me. I'm not really gifted there. No, you don't have any of that. It doesn't matter your gifting or where you think your skill set lies or any of this. I mean, none of these guys who are chosen would you look at and think, oh yeah, that's going to be the guy who's really going to go out there and just impact the world for Jesus. No, these guys are in their boats. They're telling fishing stories. They're catching fish. These aren't the guys that you look at and say, yeah, they're a master disciple maker in the making. No, see, the point is we're all called to make disciples. No one's exempt. No one gets to say, well, I don't have that gift. I'm not really made for that. It's not really in my skill set. No, everybody's called. You're all called to make disciples. This isn't some grand dream. This is reality. This is who you are. You're called to go. You are sent to go make disciples. One of the reasons why we talk a lot about spiritual gifts here is because we want people to be able to understand how they're wired, how they're made, and how to use those spiritual gifts in a way that's really going to lead toward discipleship. I mean, that's why we have spiritual gifts. It's always to benefit people, to encourage people to help our disciple-making efforts. So here at the church building, we want people to volunteer, but this is like the practice field where it's a safe environment where you know you're going to be loved and supported and encouraged if we're doing things well. And you get the freedom to fail a little bit and to mess up a little bit and to discover, okay, you know what? This, this really didn't excite me, but over there, wow, that really gets me pumped. That really gets me jazzed. I need to be serving in that ministry, doing something volunteering over there. But the point is you develop those skills, those passions here to understand what your spiritual gifts are. Why? So that you can go out in the game. So that you can go out as Jesus is sending these guys out. Where? To the, to the lost sheep in Israel. I mean, that's their mission field. Hey, you go there and you make disciples there. It's not just you stay with the 12 and continue to uh, help one another. No, there's part of that. There's an element of that, sure. But all of that is preparation, so they'll be effective there. Now, if it's only here and it's never there, it's time to get in the game. 
It's time to step out of the practice field. Do you still need to practice? Yes, absolutely. The best athletes in the world, they continue to practice, continue to hone their craft. Yeah, you continue to practice here, but you get in the game out there. Why? Because that's what we're made for. We're made for the game. We're made for people. We're sent to, to, to be the light in the darkness. That's what we're made for. That's living life. That's truth. So, as we see that, sometimes with that understanding, we can think, well, if I don't have that gift, though, maybe I'm exempt from that. See, understand this. In the family, the church is a family. We all have responsibilities, right? There's responsibilities in a family. I mean, in my family, we have different responsibilities. One of the things we have to do is, like in any family, you got to load the dishwasher. Now, I don't mind unloading the dishwasher. That's not really that big of a deal to me. I don't mind. I'll help out. I'll do that. No big deal. I don't prefer loading the dishwasher, though. You know, the dirt, the dishes, they're all dirty. They're messy and all that. I don't, I don't enjoy that so much. But I'm part of the family. So sometimes, yeah, it comes on me. I'm the one who has to load the dishwasher. Nobody really has the spiritual gift of taking out the trash, it seems, you know, but somebody has to do it. These are just responsibilities that we have in the family. Now, some people may be better at those responsibilities than others, but everyone still has to pitch in and do it once in a while. When it comes to discipleship, we don't get the option of saying, well, you know, I don't have that gift. No, if you're in the family, it's a responsibility. It's a call. We've all been sent. No one's exempt. Now, if you're a guest and you're just kind of checking things out and you kind of come in the church building and see how things are going, well, no, you don't have that responsibility because you're not part of the family. But if you're part of the family, it's a responsibility. It's a glorious responsibility, a privileged responsibility because we get to share Jesus and impact people. It is really amazing. So, we're all sent to make disciples. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. We are sent ones to somebody, somewhere. Notice, Jesus didn't send these guys to the whole world. He doesn't say, all right, hey, guys, here's the 12. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go conquer the world. That's not what he does. Sometimes we, we like to talk about the whole world and that intimidates us. You know, you hang around church circles long enough and you'll hear talk of the whole world. We've got to evangelize the whole world, disciple the whole world. We've got to go to the ends of the earth and you'll hear that kind of talk. And yeah, there's some truth in that for sure. Jesus does have a heart for the world. God does want to reach the world. But when he's talking to an individual... He usually just gives us a slice of it. He doesn't say to anybody, hey, you're the one who's got to disciple the world. But when we talk about the world, when we think of the world, it becomes too big. And we think, well, I can't do that. I mean, I can't in any way like disciple the world. I can't reach the world. That's too big for me. And so what do we do? It becomes nothing. I mean, we can talk about the world, but in reality, in our own lives, it becomes almost nothing. I mean, maybe we give a little money to help people who are going to some far off country, but that can be about it. You understand, when God sends people, he puts limitations on like where you're going oftentimes. He, to these guys, he says, hey, you don't go to the Gentiles. You don't go to the Samaritans. You simply go to the Israelites. This is the slice I want you to focus on. Even Adam, way back, Genesis 1, what, what does he give Adam? He gives him a garden. Not the whole world. You, you got this garden. 
for you and me. He's given us a garden. He's given us a place. It's so big by so big. And this is the area. Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you study? Where do you play? That's your garden. These are the people. These are your spheres of influence. Now, sometimes we got to expand that sphere a little bit. and We got to pray and we got to ask, hey, God, develop a heart in me for people and show me these people that I need to focus on. But as you, as you begin to pray for people, that you often become the answer to your prayer. And you're sent to those people. It's so big by so big. It's not the whole world. It's where you are. See, one of the mistakes that we often make is we think we got to go everywhere and for everybody. But you don't. You just have to go to where you're sent. There's a place that God has sent you. You're being called to a person, a group of people to whom God has designed you and sent you. And that's where you go. And when you get there, you care for the whole person. You see how Jesus is instructing the, the disciples here? That you care for their mental state, their physical state, their emotional state. Yes, their spiritual state. You proclaim the good news, but you care for the whole person. You know, it's why when I often travel to Sierra Leone that I'm uh, I'm accompanied by dentists and I've got construction guys who come and there's uh, ladies who deal with feminine hygiene issues and all these kind of things. And there's all these people that are coming. Why? Because we want to meet all the needs. And there are people who are gifted to meet needs that I just cannot meet. And I'm gifted to meet needs that other people cannot meet. But we go there and we meet these needs. We meet physical needs. We meet emotional needs. We meet financial needs. We meet these needs and we equip them then to be able to meet their own needs. And when you do that, sooner or later, the question will come. Why would you come all the way here to do this for us? I mean, people will be amazed. Why do you come all the way here to do this for us? And then we're able to share because we're compelled by the love of Jesus. Can we tell you about him? And then the conversation begins. See, so many of our ministries here at Central, they're really designed to get us out in the community. I mean, Central cares the way we did VBS this year. We want to be able to get out in the community, meet needs in the community. Not just spiritual needs, but physical needs, emotional needs, whatever need we can meet. And then that will lead to the bigger spiritual conversation. Now, if we never get there, we have another problem. We just become a, a, a social worker or something. But we have good news to proclaim. One of the problems that we often find is the church in the church is that we rush so fast to the spiritual need that we neglect all the other needs that the person has. And then our message just rings a little hollow. I mean, as Paul described that if they can't sense your love, you're like a clanging gong. I mean, it, it just... It doesn't really hit the person. Why? Because they're, they want to make, hey, do you really care about me? Or are you just trying to check off your spiritual to-do box? See, we, we, we sometimes move so fast in life that we think, oh, I only have this moment. If I don't share Jesus in this moment and make sure that they know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, the moment's going to pass, it's going to be over, and I'm not going to have another shot. Well, we've got to take the time to cultivate a relationship, to say, here's my number. Hey, can we meet up for lunch? Can we get our kids together? Can we hang out together? You, you want to come over to my house? Let's, let's do this thing. You don't have to rush so fast all the time, but you, you cultivate the relationship. You meet the needs. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's given the instructions to the disciples. Hey, you, 
You heal people. You raise the dead. You drive out demons. You do these things. And we look at it. We say, whoa, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I can just tell you just, just between us here this morning that we read a passage like that. And you hear me read it this morning. You're almost freaking out. Now, church people on the inside, like we know how to freak out in a cool way where it doesn't really like show on the outside. But inside, we're, we're looking at this. We're saying, I don't know about that. I mean, the only times I've seen that are like late night TV preachers. And that's all wrong. I don't want to be anything like that. Understand what Jesus is saying here is meet the needs of people. That you had this untold power inside of you that you don't just get to shift off or, or, or slug off and just abdicate away. No, but you have this power within you because Christ is within you. The Spirit's already stirring in you a heart for these people that you go and you meet their needs. Needs sometimes that are too big for you to meet on your own, oftentimes, that you have to be dependent upon Jesus. And you go and you meet those needs. Now, I want you to think about this scene with me for a moment. Because Jesus, he's sending these guys out. And he doesn't just send them with like no plan. He tells them how to go. And in Matthew's gospel, we don't really see it, but in Mark and Luke, they paint the picture that is Jesus is telling this and uh, in, in giving this commission that he's sending the disciples in groups of two. That he's saying, hey, you two go together and you two go together and you two go together. Why? Because this mission is too big for you to go by yourself. See, another reason why we often fail in our disciples ship mission is we try to go it alone. We think that we can make disciples by ourselves, but it's too big for us. We'll, we'll, I mean, think about this scene. These guys, they've already left so much to follow Jesus. They've left their families. They've left their businesses. They've left everything they've known. They're following Jesus. And now Jesus is going to up the ante on all of them. Because he's going to say, okay, in groups of two, I'm sending you to a village you've never been to before. You don't have a bag for this journey. And when you get there, you have no place to stay. You've just got to go and you've got to find a person of peace who's going to invite you into their home. And when you go, you can't collect money for the work that you're doing. Maybe you have a little money in your belt now, but you can't go around trying to collect money. You just have to be dependent upon people to meet your needs. I mean, that's a desperate state. I mean, they got no cell phone. They can't call anybody. Hey, I need you to come pick me up. I'm struggling out here. I mean, they're going. And if you went like that alone, oh, you better believe that most of the disciples, they just turn around and they come right back. So this is too much. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too difficult. This is too painful. There's, there's too much suffering here. I can't last by myself. No, Jesus says you go out in groups of two. Why? Because when those hard moments come, the other guy next to you, he's able to remind you, hey, this is what Jesus said. He said it's going to be hard like this. He said it's going to be difficult. But here's what he said to do. When you're having those stomach pains and you're just so hungry, maybe because you didn't get a meal that day, it's cold outside and your tunic's wet and oh, it's just difficult. What do you do? You tell the other guy and he says, you know what? You're right. Let's pray. And you become totally dependent upon God. There's this need for someone else to remind us, to encourage us, to let us know, hey, this mission is too big for us to do alone. We have someone else with us reminding us that the only way we're really going to accomplish this is if we're dependent upon Jesus. See, oftentimes our own discipleship ministries fail because we try to go it alone. 
we try to do it alone. We think we can disciple people by ourselves. We think, I got to disciple this person. It's up to me. And if I don't do it, it's all going to fail. When you think you got to go alone, oftentimes you won't go at all. You know, last week we got to see this great video of, of uh, David and Ethan and their wives, Karen and Melissa, and how they went out and they impacted this baseball team. Now, I haven't talked to them about this, but I can almost guarantee you that if they just tried to do that alone, their impact would have been far less because you need that other person to kind of brainstorm with and to strategize with and to rejoice together and to be able to point out the wins and be able to see this. And then, whoa, hey, now we can impact a baseball team. And it's exciting. Hey, this is the group of people we're sent to. Let's make an impact there. You know, I talk with you a lot about my travels over to Sierra Leone. And you know how it all started? Is there was a guy who was going, his name was Jeff. And, and Jeff was, he was tasked with really leading the spiritual development of the pastors over there so that they could really lead their people and shepherd their people well. And Jeff's over there and he realizes, I cannot do this by myself. I, I just cannot, I cannot have the impact that really is needed by myself. And he was wearing out. He was burning out. It was hard because it's hard work. And so what he did is he had the humility to come, come out and to ask other uh, spiritual leaders in the community, other pastors in the community, say, can you help me? And so that's how I was drawn into it. See, Jeff went because his heart broke for the people of Sierra Leone. So he recruited other people. When Jeff came and I met with him the first time, my heart didn't break for the people of Sierra Leone. I barely even knew the country Sierra Leone. But now that I've been over there, like Jeff, my heart be breaks for the people. I mean, I'm all in. Whatever I can do, I'm all in. Maybe you've got a burden for people. Maybe, maybe there's a group in the community that you're looking at. There's a baseball team. There's, there's a YMCA thing. There's some kind of group that you're connected with, and your heart breaks for these people. And you've got this dream of how I could go and impact and the impact that needs to take place there. If you try to do it alone or if you think you can do it alone, it will more than likely just remain a dream. The next step that you need to take is to go and recruit somebody to go along with you, just the way that Dave and Ethan teamed up, the way that Jeff called a couple other community pastors to team up with him. You got to go, you got to find somebody else and say, hey, do this with me. Yeah, maybe their heart doesn't break for those people right now, but it will. It will. Once they get involved in the people and you ask them, hey, will you pray about these people? And as they pray, okay, now come, you're with me. And then you go. That's how, that's how it often works. Is, is This whole discipleship thing, it's not really meant to do alone. It's meant to do together. Any discipleship maker, any disciple maker who's any good at making disciples, they do it with somebody else. They never do it alone. So, this is too important not to focus on, not to give attention to. And this is what Jesus is wanting to cultivate in the hearts of these disciples, to focus on people. Don't focus on the nets anymore. Don't focus on your businesses anymore. Don't focus on the money anymore. You focus on people. And so Jesus, he's telling them, as you go, here's what you look at. You don't worry about, hey, how much are they going to be able to pay you? How are you going to have your needs met? Where are you going to sleep? You don't worry about all that. You focus on the people. Why? Because the world worries about all that stuff. I and mean, that's what pagans worry about. Jesus, he's always reminding his disciples, consider the sparrow, consider the lilies. Do I not take care of the most menial things in society? Don't you know that I'm going to take care of you? So you focus on what matters. 
The Father knows what you need even before you do. So you just consider the sparrows. You consider the lilies. He takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. Now, if we took a pop quiz this morning and you had a sheet of paper there and I had one here and I was to ask us, okay, hey, what's the most important thing in life? I think we'd probably get the answer right. You know, we'd talk about our faith in Jesus and the, to love God and to love others. We'd say something along those lines, right? We'd all pass the test. But if there was a video camera that just kind of followed us around and record our lives, then we're able to watch it back. And we're able to see, okay, what do our lives reflect? Do we see lives that reflect a love for God and a love for others? Oftentimes, no. What we'll see is lives just chasing after things that everybody else chases after. Ch chase, chasing after success, chasing after money or the next house or vacation or, or just trying to make ends meet and just having fun, whatever the case may be. See, we get so consumed with the things of the world. But when Jesus has sent us and we, and we haven't gone, well, then it's really hard to make the argument that he really is the most important thing. See, his heart breaks for people. He wants our hearts to break for people. Oftentimes, what do our hearts get anxious over? What do our hearts break over? Well, maybe the state of the economy, who is the president, uh, what's going on with the virus, how are we going to advance, all, all these different things. The list goes on. See, here's why that happens. We spend so much time in the world. We're so impacted by the media and the, what's on TV and the people that we're talking to that the cares of the world tend to become our cares. And those were our cares even before we know Jesus. And so those tend to be the primary cares of our life. And what's Jesus saying with these disciples? Hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to hang out with me. I want you to spend so much time with me. I want you to spend all this time praying to the Father in fellowship with one another. Why? So that you will understand the way God thinks, that you will think the way he thinks, that you will love the way he loves, that your heart will break for what breaks his. Because once you've reached there, then you don't sweat the small stuff. Oh, it's stuff that seems so big, you know, the politics of the day, economy, virus, this stuff that seems so big, but it's really small. Instead, we'll focus on what really matters, the mission that Jesus gives us to make disciples. See, don't let us say a dream. You've been sent. I've been sent. We've all been sent to make disciples, not, not the whole world, but to that group of people that you just have this burden in your heart for, that you're praying for, you've been sent there to have an impact. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have indeed sent us. So God, may that not stay a dream or uh, some kind of idea in our mind, oh, it would be nice if or when, but God, that we would go. We don't have to go alone. We can bring somebody along to encourage us, to encourage them to go faithfully dependent upon you. And God, we totally are dependent upon you. We need your help for this mission. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.